Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in a few moments with verse 7. Scripture today, the sermon today is entitled Pressing Forward. Holland Avenue is a turning point. You are getting ready to uh, have a new pastor new pastor to move onto the field here, a new pastor to start working with you, and hopefully that's going to be for a long time. You're going to be wondering, all right, uh, what's going to change? What's going to stay the same? What's going to be new? What's going to be different? Most of all, probably we're thinking or should be thinking, where is God going to lead? I'm going to tell you this morning, I know where God is going to lead. God is going to lead you forward. That's what he does. God leads us forward. He leads us to where he wants us to go. You ever stop to think in the scripture of all of the different characters that seem to have this forward focus, to be willing to do what God wanted them to do and go where God wanted them to go? There was Abraham. You know, God came to him and said, Abraham, leave the place where you've been, leave the people you know, go to a place I will show you. And the book of Hebrews says he went looking for that place where he searched for a city that had foundations. He was willing to go where God was leading him to move forward at God's command. Or you think about Moses. You know, Moses, with God's power, and with the plagues that God was able to produce, led the children of Israel out of slavery in the land of Egypt, and then he led them to the promised land. His focus was on getting those people to where God wanted them to be, to the place that he wanted them to reside and to be used by him. So his focus was forward to the promised land. Jesus lived with a forward focus. He performed his ministry realizing that he was going to the cross. Luke, it says, he set his face like a flint to go to Jerusalem. He was going to move forward to the cross and then through that to the resurrection. He had a forward focus. The Apostle Paul had a forward focus. And it's so, so very clearly in this passage of Scripture we're going to read this morning. Look, follow along in your Bibles as I read, beginning with verse 7 of Philippians 3. Paul said, But whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection, and the fellowship of sharing in His suffering, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
Paul had a forward focus. But think of a little doing to get there. For you see, there was an issue. The issue that had to be resolved first was which of the two ways to eternal life is the right one? See, there are there, just two choices. If you want to have eternal life, there are two ways to try to attain it. Which is the right one? Well, first of all, Paul moved toward works. Now, he was trying to attain a perfect life. He realized that that's the most important thing. Have you noticed how, how you know, people are so on edge about Ebola? Why? We don't want to catch it and die. We don't want to die before our time. But all of us are going to die. What happens then? Are we going to pass into eternal life in heaven or eternal death, hell? It's an important question, and we've got to make the right choice. Paul, to begin with, decided he was going to try the way of works. He was going to be good. He was going to base his, his hope for eternal life on who he was, where he came from, and what he had achieved in his own righteousness. And boy, did he ever do a good job of it. I mean, he was way up at the top when you come to having it all together to being able to use works to have eternal life. Listen to what he said. Look, look up here in, in the verse, last part of verse 4. If anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, that is, working to obtain salvation, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee. Now, you know, we look at the Pharisees as uh, these, you know, people that are always causing Jesus trouble. The, the, the genesis of the Pharisees was that we want to do everything just like God wants us to do it. You know, so when he says in regard to the law of Pharisees, he says, I'm looking at the Bible and following everything in my Bible that God tells me, tells me to do. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for legalistic righteousness, faultless. Wow. From the right people and the right religion, keeping it precisely, doing everything just right. Boy, did he have it. It comes to the idea of works. Did he have it? Guess what he found out? Didn't work. Works don't work. Works don't work to get us to eternal life. Did you, you see where Paul ended up? He said, all of those things that were so important to me that I thought were going to get me into heaven, that I thought were going to be a blessing in my life, guess what? They are rubbish. Garbage to be thrown out. So there's another way. And he finally found it. It's the way of faith. He found it when he came to know the Lord Jesus. He came to rely not on his works, but on faith. Now, understand something. Faith isn't just believing facts. A lot of people say, well, I've got faith. I believe that Jesus lived, Jesus died, and rose again. Well, congratulations, the devil believes the same thing. <laughs> Real faith is not about believing facts. Real faith is about, you know, trust. This is a big old heavy chair.
I believe that's a chair. I believe that chair would probably hold me up if I sat down in it. It's an attractive chair. I kind of like the way that chair looks. I believe in that chair. Is that chair holding me up? Right now, is that chair holding me up? No. What have I got to do for it holds me up? I've got to sit in it. I've got to trust it to hold me up. Now, I'm believing in this chair. I'm not just believing it is a chair. I'm trusting this chair to hold me up. Well, that's what faith in Jesus is. It's not just believing in some facts about a man that lived a long ago. It's believing that this Jesus who died and rose again is the one who has the ability to forgive my sin and to get me in heaven when I die. It's trusting Jesus. Not trusting about Jesus. It's trusting Jesus. Something else is involved in that. And, you know, Paul makes that clear in these verses that we're looking at. Look at uh, verse 8. He says, Knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. You see, he didn't say, I know about Jesus. He says, I know Jesus. It's a personal relationship. It's a relationship that, that is between two people that's real and deep and meaningful. It's a personal relationship. And notice that he says something else. He says, I don't want to have, in verse 9, he says, I don't want to have a righteousness of my own, but I want to have the righteousness that God gives through Christ. Our righteousness is rubbish. God's righteousness is available to us. It's the righteousness of Christ. Jesus is the only one who lived a perfect life. And he made the perfect sacrifice. And so God takes the righteousness of Jesus and lets it count for us. He lets, he lets Jesus' righteousness count for us. It's kind of like you're, you're taking a test in school and, you know, you haven't studied or you haven't studied enough, and you don't know near all the answers, you're thinking, oh, I'm sunk on this one. And the teacher says, guess what? I know all the answers. And I tell you what, since I know all the answers, I'll let my knowing all the answers count for you. I never had a teacher like that. <laughs> kind of bad in some of the classes I had to take. But I've got a Savior like that who lets his righteousness count for me, and, and he'll let his righteousness count for you too. Having his righteousness. And then, then look at verse 12, what he talks about. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Ha having this faith means not that we're trying to hold on to Jesus, but we've come to Jesus. We say to Jesus, oh Jesus, I'm not going to make it without you. Will you take me? Yeah, he takes us, and he grabs us, and he holds on to us, and that's where our security comes from. Listen to what Jesus said in the Gospel of John. Jesus said, my sheep listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me as greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Remember the old saying, God's grip don't slip? Doesn't. He puts us in his hand and holds us there, and we are secure for eternity. So 
Paul came to the place where he figured out, not by works, not by my righteousness, not by the good I've done, it's not where I'm from, it's not who I know. It's putting my trust in Jesus. And then, then he was ready to press on with his life. So we're going to look at this passage this morning. We're going to consider some things that are involved in pressing on because we're believers and seeking to follow the Lord Jesus. First of all, don't let the past hold you back. What he says there in verse 13, forgetting what is behind. Forgetting what is behind. You want to forget everything you know? Want to forget everything you've experienced? No. You know. And that's not what that means. To forget, a lot of times as it's used in the Bible, doesn't mean that you go brain dead. <laughs> it means that what happened in the past no longer has an influence on you. It doesn't affect you in the wrong way anymore. So, you know, it's, 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 it's not that you, you know, just don't remember. It's just that it doesn't have an effect. In the book of Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 10, Scripture says, God says in the Scripture, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And that doesn't mean that, you know, God's a forgetful God. It means that God just doesn't hold our sins against us anymore. The, the, our past sin doesn't influence how God relates to us now. We're given a brand new clean slate every day. And so, you know, that's what he's talking about. It's not that we put these things out of our mind. It's just don't have an undue influence on us. You've got to forget the bad. You've got to forget the bad. But Paul had to forget the bad. Paul, thinking he was righteous, was really a sinner. He persecuted the people of God. He arrested people who were believers. Men and women had them thrown into jail. He gave his assent to other believers being killed. He was a bad old guy. He had some things to be forgiven of. Then later, he had some problems. You know, he talked about he was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was thrown in jail. He had a lot of things happen to him that weren't pleasant things. And he had some friends desert him. You read all of his writings, they say, so-and-so's not with me anymore. They left me. You know, people let him down. He said, I forget those things. It's not that he didn't remember them. He could list them. But he didn't let them affect him. He didn't let them affect him from, keep him from moving forward. And guess what? We've got to do the same. Because you see, you've sinned. You've slandered people. You've gossiped about people. You've been guilty of sexual immorality even in, in fact or in your thoughts. You've hated. You've been angry at people when you shouldn't have been angry at them. You've hurt people. All of us have sinned. We're going to let that keep dragging us down. All of us have gone through difficult times. Illness, financial struggles, loss of someone close to us. All of us have had somebody let us down, gossip about us, hurt us. Don't let those bad things hold on. You don't have to. Forgetting what is behind, don't let it affect you anymore. There's something out ahead. The Rose Bowl that was played 
back in 1929. Georgia Tech was playing University of California, Berkeley. Big game. Toward the end of the first half, Georgia Tech fumbled the ball. A man named Roy Regals picked it up. He was bumped a time or two. He got his feet, got his balance, started running from the goal line. Problem was, he was running for his own goal line. And everybody was screaming and shouting at him. He was focused on that goal line. He was going to get to it. You know, one of his teammates caught up with him about the three-yard line. He said, stop, you're about to you know, score a touchdown for the other team. You know, so you know, he, he, he stopped, but about that time, the Georgia Tech players piled on him. And so here they were, backed up to the one-yard line. They decided, better not play it from here. Let's just punt. Half's about to end anyhow. Punt was blocked. Resulted in a safety. Points went to Georgia Tech. Half came to an end. Boy, was it ever quiet in the California locker room. Not even the coach had much to say. Regal sat in the corner, facing his hands. Halftime was almost over. The coach got up and he said, the team who started is the team who's going back on the field. And Regals said, I can't play, coach. I can't do it. I've ruined myself. I've ruined you. I've ruined the team. I can't do it. The coach said to him, stand up, Regals. The game is only half over. You belong on the field. Guess what God says to us? Yeah, you may have sinned. Yeah, you've gone through rough times. Yes, people have let you down. You've let them down. Stand up and get on the field. The game's only half over. He gives us another chance. Forgetting those things that are in the past. Forgetting the bad. But you know what else we've got to do to keep the past from holding us back? And this might surprise you. You must forget the good. You've got to forget the good if you let the good that happened to you in the past keep you from moving where God wants you to go in the future. Have you ever seen anybody that lives in the past? You know, they're, they're, you know their whole life revolves the way around it used to be. Maybe it was when they were in high school, college, first marriage, their children were little. Some point in life, they just got stuck there. I heard about a woman that, you know, got stuck in, in, in the Woodstock era when all the hippies were around. And she was 50 or 60-something years old and wanting it to be like it was back in the late 60s. She was, that, I mean, she dressed part, <laughs> thought that way. To that, that was a good thing to her, and she was stuck there. You know what? That kind of thing happens to churches. Oh, when Reverend so-and-so was pastor, our church was just so good and running so well, I don't think we'll ever get there again. Oh, you know, it, it was just so great when we had 500 in Sunday school. Man, I wish our church was like that. Oh, it, when, when worship was quiet and meditative, I, you know, that was just when it was the best. Might have been. But we're not supposed to get stuck there. God is calling us forward. History committee has been working on a history of the church. That got it finished. In fact, you could order your copy now. This church started in 1955. And expect next spring you're going to have a celebration. The church is going to be 60 years old. You know, 
And it is right, it is good to look back and to think about those things and to celebrate. You celebrate. You celebrate how this church got started. This church got started in prayer. People would get together in homes and they would pray. They would get down on their knees and pray earnestly for God to lead them and bless them and help them and show them what, it, what, what He wanted them to do and how to do it. And boy, God heard the prayer and answered. And all of this and all of you are testimony to their faithfulness in following God and depending on Him. And yeah, you look back and you celebrate that. You rejoice in it. You rejoice what God has done. You rejoice in their faithfulness. But let me tell you something. Remember, it's not for 1955 now. And it's never going to be 1955 again. We look back. We learn. We rejoice. But we go where God wants us to go now. He keeps moving us forward. And sometimes... You know, it might suit us personally to go back. But that's not what God wants and does it please Him. He keeps moving us forward. He keeps moving us forward. And you know how we're able to do that? We're able to do that because we find comfort in our relationship to the Lord Jesus. Did you notice what Paul said? He said there in verse 8 knowing Christ Jesus my Lord Christ Jesus my Lord notice what he didn't say he didn't say Christ Jesus a Lord he didn't even say at this point Christ Jesus the Lord he didn't say Christ Jesus everybody's Lord he said Christ Jesus my Lord it was personal with him. And because he was in that personal relationship with Jesus, he could go where God wanted him to go. Because he knew wherever he went, Jesus was with him. Jesus was always his Lord. He was always his Savior. He was always his King. He was always his ever-present help in trouble. Christ Jesus, my Lord. And we can face the future, even an uncertain future, even the future we don't have all the answers about and or understand why we're going there, because Jesus is with us. He is our Lord. Let me tell you a story. When my daughter was six years old, we were called from a church in Spartanburg County to First Baptist Newberry. My daughter had you know, grown up in the parsonage there. She, that's where she'd lived all of her life. She had friends at church. She had friends at school. And she did not want to move. Not at all. The, the, she, we sent her to school the day the moving van came to, to pack up everything and take it out. And when she got out of school, they'd gone. She wanted to go back in the house. She went to every room in that house, one by one, and in every room, just weeped her heart out. She didn't want to move. You know what made it worse? When we were getting ready to move to the parsonage in Newberry, right before that we found out that they had a moisture problem underneath that house, and the joists and the seals were rotted in the living room and dining room. 
And so they'd gone in, they'd torn out the floor, they'd torn out the joist, they'd torn out the seals. And when you worked, walked in the front door and looked to the right, you saw underneath the house and it was just mud. Also, we had a little kitchen where we were. We had a big kitchen. We needed a kitchen table. We hadn't bought one yet. A few years back, my daughter is an adult woman. said, Dad, I want to share with you one of my, my memories. She said, you remember when we first moved to Newberry? She said, I remember one particular day when we were in the den sitting on the hearth eating a meal. Didn't have a table to sit around, so we're on the hearth and den. She said, I didn't want to be there. I just didn't want to go through it. She said, I thought you and Mom were nuts to move me a house with no floor. She said, but you know, you were with me. And that gave me some comfort. And after a while, what was unfamiliar became familiar. You knew what was best, and it turned out best for me. And it did. Or you see, she made new friends. She had a new room. She got a new church. She got a new school, new opportunities. She didn't just survive. She thrived. But she made it through the transition because mom and dad were with her. We get through things in life when we can say, Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's the one that's with us. He's the one that holds on to us. He's the one that guides us. Christ Jesus, my Lord. Something else, if you're going to press on for Jesus, we have to do some suffering. Look at verse 10. Paul said, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering. People sometimes say, oh, I want a closer walk with Jesus. Oh, I'm going to recommit myself to Jesus. Great thing. Just remember, it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you. It costs to follow Jesus. It's not always easy to follow Jesus. We have to pay the price to follow Jesus. It's always been that way. Christ suffered the attacks of Satan. He made sure it was hard for Jesus to do his ministry. He stirred up people against Jesus. He finally worked it so that Jesus ended up being crucified. He didn't know that was going to just make God's plan come about. But he was attacking Jesus. And that's just the way it is. Works the same way with us believers. Sit around, do nothing, don't care where you follow the Lord. Say, he doesn't care. Get up, get busy, get moving, get serving the Lord. Then you've got a target on your back. He's going to make you pay. He doesn't want you serving the Lord. Works that way with churches. Sit around and have a do-nothing church. Just patting each other on the back, making each other feel good. That doesn't bother Satan. Try to go out and share the gospel. Try to meet needs. Try to honor Jesus. Try to spread the good news. Then, then Satan attacks churches. They don't get attacked much from the outside around here. Afraid they will one of these days, where our country's headed. But how does he attack? He attacks from the inside. He stirs us up against one another. 
Did she say that about me? I wonder what that group's doing. I bet they're trying to cover up something. Well, I just don't like the way so-and-so's going on. It just doesn't suit me at all. I don't know. Suspicion, grumbling, hostility, unforgiveness. He stirs us up. He attacks us. He doesn't want us moving forward. Tell you something else. Christ had to suffer for the redemption of people. If we're going to be faithful in sharing the good news, we have to too. We have to get out of being comfortable and so that we'll move out and begin to say, let me share my story with you. Can I give you this track? Even sometimes they don't want it to begin with. Let me pray for you. Can I pray for you? Might cost us. Cost us some time. Cost us energy. Cost us our money. We're going to send missionaries around the world. It's going to cost us. We're going to go ourselves. It's going to cost us. Doing what God calls us to do. Even if it's taking care of a little newborn baby, sometimes it can be costly for us. Because it means change. And then we move forward for God. We still move forward for God because He's with us. And we move toward the goal that He has given us, helping us get there. The a- athletic image is here. Uh, look at verses, uh, middle of verse 12. I press on. Forgetting what lies ahead there in verse 14, I press on. Straining forward. You know, it's athletic imagery. It's like we're moving toward a finish line. Scripture in Hebrews said that Jesus reminds us that He's the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He ran the race before us. And so we're to run with perseverance the race that is before us. And so so you get Paul's picture here of straining forward, pressing on, like the finish line is up there. We're running toward it. I imagine that in the Christian life, Jesus is already there. He's run his race, and he's smiling at us. He says, come on, you can do it. I know you're going to make it. Keep coming, keep coming, keep working. Hold on. You, you keep straining forward to reach the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Moving forward, moving onward, moving upward. A forward focus, looking to where Jesus is moving toward He is because that's where He wants us to go. So, hey, you're getting ready to have a new pastor here. There's going to be some changes. That's just inevitable that they're going to come. But stop and think a minute. God has put this church in a unique position. It amazes me every Sunday morning when all of these children go out to Children's Church. Man, there are churches that would love to have that many children. God's put you in a unique position to be a church that's still filled with children. God's put you in a unique position here in this community because this community is changing, but it's changing in a good way. It's not deteriorating. There there are younger couples moving in here. There are plans for big apartment complexes, multiple housing dwelling places that that are upscale places. This is a great time of opportunity for this church. God is really opening doors for you. It's just fantastic. You, you've got in place so many people who play, so many people who love, such a good staff. You are being given a unique opportunity to keep moving forward to where God wants you to go. Rather than turn back 
Rejoice. Rejoice what God is doing. Rejoice that God is working with us. Rejoice that He's given this church a future. Rejoice that He's moving us forward and keeps us from going back. Why are we able to do all of this and rejoice in the midst of it? Why are we able to keep pressing on? Well, the answer is back in verse 12. I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Remember, He's got us in His hand. As individual believers, He's got us in His hand as the church. We're in His hand. He's going to hold on to us. The secret of the Christian life, the start of the Christian life, is being taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Victory in the Christian life is remembering that He's holding on to us and He keeps moving forward. Look back at chapter 1, verse 6. Look at this. Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you, He's begun a good work in this church. He's been working in this church for 60 years. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, what a promise. What a promise. God's been with us. He's with us now. He's going to continue to be with us. So, what are we learning? We're learning that you don't trust your own righteousness. It's a pile of rubbish. Put your faith in Jesus. You come to know Christ. Trust in Him. Depend on Him. Follow Him. Be secure. Be secure in His having taken hold of you. He's got you in His hand. You can say, most of you could say, Christ Jesus, my Lord. Be willing to suffer. It takes it to follow Christ. You know, the, the Bible doesn't ever talk about commitment without suffering. Before resurrection, there comes crucifixion. Don't live in the past. You can remember the past. You can rejoice in the past. Don't live there. Don't seek to force the church to live there either. God's not leading us back. He's leading us forward. And so keep moving forward with Him. Maybe today... You need to come and say, I want to put my trust in Jesus. Yeah, I've heard about him. Yeah, I know the facts. But I've never really trusted him. I'm going to trust this man who died for me to take my sin and to get me to heaven when I die. I'm not going to depend on anything else. I'm going to depend on Jesus. Or maybe you want to come today and say, I'm going to keep on following Jesus. And I'm going to keep on helping this church. Press forward to move toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Or maybe you want to come and be a part of a church that wants to do that. I'm going to have an invitation to him this morning. It's number 502.